0: This morning is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Uh, We're going to look at verses 21 through 43. And my understanding is that you've been working your way through the Gospel of Mark for some time. And what we've seen most recently is Jesus' power and his authority over dangerous weather. And then uh, most recently, Jesus' power and authority over demons and demon possession in the demonic world. Uh, But this morning, what we're going to see is how that power and authority extends uh, his power and his authority over disease and even over death. Uh, Two things that we're very familiar with in our world today, things that we hear so much about as we are in the midst of this pandemic. And it takes the It's thrown us for a loop. It's turned our lives upside down. It's put us in a place that we're not used to being. It makes us uneasy. It's it's why it's so fitting for us to sing hymns like the one we just sang by Ann Steele about dear refuge of my weary soul. Because our souls are weary and our hopes are declining. And what we long for is we long to experience Jesus' power and his authority in the here and the now. We long to see how he might manifest himself in our world and deliver us and make things right and make things good. We long for our King to come again and be with us. And so the question before us this morning is how do we connect with that Jesus? How do we connect with Jesus in the here and the now? How do we know the strength that we so desperately need for today and the hope that we need for tomorrow? And what I want to say is, I believe that the passage in front of us this morning gives us those answers. So if you would, follow along as I read Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, In the crowd, and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of all your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. And he Allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, and were where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Uh, This season has been very difficult. It's been difficult for me, and I won't deny it, but it's also been difficult as I've witnessed uh, the fallout of this pandemic in the lives of those that are close to me. Uh, I have a dear friend whose father was admitted to the hospital not long ago. He contracted the coronavirus, And he was on death's doorstep. Uh, But by God's mercy, he uh, recovered in the sense that he was able to go home. But he has a long road ahead uh, to be fully rehabilitated. I have another colleague who recently lost his father-in-law to this virus. Um, Now there are grandchildren without a grandfather. There's uh, a wife without her husband. And so many have been affected by this. I have another dear friend who uh, recently had to uproot his family. Uh, they're packing boxes even today, I imagine, because they're about to move about 10 hours away. Uh, he lost his job. Uh, his little girl was excited about beginning a new school. Uh, his wife had recently accepted a job herself, but he's the key provider, the chief breadwinner for their family. And so now they're moving back in uh, with mom and dad, uh, even though they're grown and they have their own two children because of all of this loss. Uh, I have another good friend who had to furlough almost his entire staff because he can't afford to pay their salaries during this very difficult season. Another close brother who uh, he and his wife were excited. Uh, They have two beautiful little girls and recently found out that they were expecting another little girl. Um, excited about adding to their family, had been house hunting and had found somewhere that they wanted to buy and, and move into, and then received the overwhelmingly heartbreaking news that his wife in the second trimester had miscarried this little girl. Darkness is all around us, and the darkness causes us to despair, doesn't it? Now, we feel it potently today, uh, we feel it in our lives. Now, we might pretend that we're doing well. We might pretend it away. But when we're honest, when we when we really connect with the lyrics of the hymn we just sang by Ann Steele, it's overwhelmingly clear that we long for refuge for our weary soul. We need to connect with Jesus, don't we? We need in the here and now to experience his power and his authority, his compassion and his tenderness, his love and his care for us. But the question before us this morning is, how do we connect with Jesus? How do we know that power and authority firsthand? How do we know his tenderness and compassion for ourselves? Well, there's kind of two schools of thought, particularly here in the South, and I recognize that Charleston is a melting pot, that it's not, you know, in the strictest sense, the Bible belt, but there's still a kind of uh, overtones of that here and so there are those that would live around us who would believe that the way that we connect with Jesus is kind of like this crowd mentality that we see in the passage that we crowd around him we we brush up against him we just kind of need to be around him we need to be near we need to have had some exposure to him and of course we know as those who are believers in Christ church and that that's not true that's not accurate that that's not how we connect with Jesus. Perhaps what we struggle with more is another mentality, kind of the polar opposite of that. The belief that the way that we really connect with Jesus, that if you were truly being a Christian during these dark and difficult times, then there will be more calm about your life. You wouldn't feel as though your life had been turned upside down so much. Your life wouldn't be marked by distress and despair and discouragement. Because what you would be marked by is your spiritual disciplines and your religious activity. And that the idea is this, that if you want to connect with Jesus, that it's really about behavior. It's about being a good person. It's about being a Christian. It's about doing what Christians do. And yet that's not true either. You see, the hard part, the hard reality is that Jesus in the gospel says that there will come a day when well, there will be people on both sides of this issue, those who believe in brushing up against him and those who believe in behaving for him. And they'll come before him and they'll say, Lord, Lord, you know, I knew you and surely you knew me. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. How do we connect with Jesus? And the answer is simple. We already uh, confessed it together during our assurance of pardon. It's what's called simple childlike faith. Belief. Faith is the instrument by which we take hold of Jesus. That we put our faith, our trust in him. We believe in him. Now, what does that look like? And what does that mean? And and how do we do it? And that's what I want us to consider together in this passage. I want us to see three things. I want us to see what we need to believe Secondly, I want us to see what it means to believe. And then finally, I want us to see how this passage gives us a reason to believe. We meet two different characters in this passage who, on the surface, they seem like polar opposites. They seem to have absolutely nothing in common. Uh, The first person we meet is... A ruler of the synagogue, a man who was in charge of ordering the temple worship, a a man who took care of the building. He is someone of great importance, someone who was wealthy. He had servants. uh, He had a family. He had a wife. He had the respect of his community. His name is Jairus. He's the first man that we meet, and he comes upon Jesus. But the second person we meet is someone who is very different than that. Uh, She's a woman and she is unclean. She's ceremonially unclean. She's been cut off from community. People can't be around her. People can't touch her, and she can't touch them, because if she does, she passes her uncleanness along to them. She's all alone. She's isolated. She's bankrupt. She spent all of her money trying to find a cure for this disease that she carries, this disease that's so incredibly embarrassing. And I'm not going to get into the details of the disease, but for a minute, we need to jump off of the felt board images. And we need to connect with this woman firsthand. Because this is a woman, this is a human being, this is flesh and blood. Can you imagine the torment and the embarrassment that marked her life every day? If she didn't have the the hygienic products that we have today in order to kind of mask and cover over the embarrassment in order to make this disease somewhat bearable. No, for 12 years, her body has been bleeding in the most personal and intimate way. And there have been these doctors who have said, oh, I can cure you, I can help you. But all they've done is taken her money from her. And she's worse off now after their treatment than she was before she went to them. We meet these two characters, and on the surface, they seem to have absolutely nothing in common. We have a man, and men were held in high esteem. We have a woman, and women were demeaned. They weren't held in high esteem whatsoever. We have an insider. We have an outsider. We have this man who is part of the social elite. We have this woman who is an outcast. We have a man who had servants and who had wealth and who had a place and a job. And we have this woman who was bankrupt and marked by poverty. We have a man who was powerful. He had people to call on, people to help him, people to come to his aid. We have a woman who's weak and she's all alone. You see, on the surface, they seem to have absolutely nothing in common. But this is what's important. And this is what I want you to see. Because though on the surface, they were very different. At the heart, they were exactly the same. They both had the same thing that we all need in order to believe. They had the one thing that we need in order to connect with Jesus. And this is what they had. They were both desperate. They were marked by desperation. They were desperate for Jesus. They had come to the end of themselves. They had come to the end of the road. They were at a dead end. They had no more solutions. They could not save themselves in their current predicaments. They had nothing else to bring to the table. They were marked by desperation. They had no one else to turn to. And so they both turned to Jesus because they believed that he can provide the healing they desperately need. See, one of the things I want you to notice, and we see this from cover to cover in the Bible, is that spiritual maturity is not a prerequisite for faith in Jesus, to connect with Jesus. In order to connect with Jesus, you don't need to be a spiritually mature person. Strength is not a prerequisite for connection with Jesus. It's tragic that we, you know, somewhat profess or proclaim that and send off the signals that that's what people need if they really want to connect with Jesus, that they need to be strong and They need to be mature. Know what you need in order to connect with Jesus. In the most intimate way, in order to experience his power and his authority in your life, his love and his compassion and his tenderness, what you need is you need to be desperate for him. I love Joseph Hart's hymn. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity join with power he is able he is able he is willing doubt no more and yet then there's this this stanza let not conscience make you linger nor a fitness fondly dream meaning don't think to yourself that oh ah, there's one more stone i can turn over there's one more thing i can do there's one more idea if i just dig down a little bit deeper if i just try a little harder if i work a little more i can surely give jesus a reason To connect with me don't put it on you it says all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him this he gives you this he gives you tis the spirit's work within what do you need in order to connect with jesus you need to be desperate for him now, one of the tragic errors that we make at this point is we think, okay, that's a good word. That's good news. And perhaps we're thinking, we're all on a Zoom call here. And perhaps we might think, you know, everybody on this call is, is a Christian. And so too bad there aren't non-Christians that could, could hear that good word because they need to hear that. But what I want you to hear me say is that that's not a message just for non-Christians. That being desperate for Jesus isn't something that happened at one point in your life. It's something that happens every day. You need to be desperate for Jesus now. You need to be desperate for him in the here and now. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. You see, when we think of it as a, as a time in history, a point in the past, there's something warm about that, isn't there? It means that we can come as we are. That we can melt before his feet and that he's there to, to pick us up with tenderness. And we love that and we're drawn to that. But when we learn that this desperation must mark all of our life, we don't like that, do we? You see, we want to be marked by keeping calm and carrying on. We, we, we want to be marked by our composure and our finesse and, and the fact that we don't melt down and the fact that we can, you know, survive and we can even have victory in difficult seasons because we're big enough and we're strong enough and we're mature enough And yet what you need in order to connect with Jesus, what you need in order to know his power and his love and compassion and authority in your life is you need to be desperate. But the second thing I want us to see is what it means to believe. What does it look like to believe? You'll notice in the passage that Jairus comes upon Jesus. And if you look in verse 24, it says, And a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a dischargeable, excuse me, I, I jumped ahead. Um, going back to Jairus, Jairus comes upon Jesus. Uh, he comes and he falls at his feet in verse 22. And he says in verse uh, 23, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Jairus believes that Jesus can do what he so desperately needs him to do. But there's a problem that comes for Jairus because this woman shows up on the scene, this woman who's been bleeding. And she shows up and she interrupts. And Jesus, after this woman has grabbed his garment because she believed if she just touched his garment, there was this kind of superstitious belief that if you touch the garment of someone like Jesus, that you could be healed. And her flow of blood ceases. It says in verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. But Jesus perceives that power has gone out from him. So he asks this question. His disciples think that he's lost his mind. There's a huge crowd around. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus knows that someone's touched him. And so he asks who. and do you notice what happens? (laughs) The woman shows us what it means to believe. The first thing she does is she listens to Jesus call her. The second thing she does is she follows him. The third thing she does is she entrusts herself to him. This is overwhelming. Think about it for a minute. Again, jump off the felt board and into real life. Here's this woman whose life was marked by great embarrassment. And what Jesus is showing her and he's showing us is that there was no private solution for her private problem. That she couldn't just be healed in privacy. She had to come out. He called her out into the open and she had to acknowledge before him who she was, what she'd done. And do you notice how he responds to her with great tenderness, with great compassion? He doesn't shame her. He doesn't embarrass her, but he calls her daughter and he says, your faith has saved you because she heard him, she followed him, she entrusted herself to him. She laid hold of him by faith. But in verse 35, we find out that Jairus's greatest fear had come true. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You see, Jairus had gotten this, he had gotten Jesus' attention and Jesus was coming with him, but this woman had interrupted. And we don't get to hear in the passage what, G, what Jairus was thinking or what he was feeling or what was running through his mind. But I, again, I'd like for you to think about how that would be, particularly if you're a father or you're a mother, what it would be like to have gotten there, and you got there in time. But then Jesus was held up, and now because this woman had interrupted, your 12-year-old daughter has died. You see, we get into the Bible world, and we think that, you know, these amazing miracles just happen every day and they happen all the time. And really, you don't see this. You don't see people rising from the dead very often in the Bible. It does happen. But Jairus is at a dead end. And Jesus turns to Jairus and he says in verse 36, do not fear, only believe. (laughs) I mean, that's a very difficult thing to do. But Jairus does the same thing the woman does. He listens to Jesus. He follows Jesus. He entrusts himself and his daughter into Jesus' kind care. You see, that's what it means to believe. Simple childlike faith. That we listen to him. That we follow him. That we entrust our lives to him. But the last thing I want you to see is that this passage finally gives us a reason to believe. You see, look what it says um, at the end of the passage. So they go to the house. Um, There are people, there are these hired mourners that are on hand, and they're making this huge commotion. And Jesus says, oh, the child is, is not dead. The child is sleeping. And then in verse 40 it says, and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother. I don't know. I picture Jesus taking the child's father and mother, Jairus, and his wife by the hand. And he leads them into this child's, this room where the child's laying on the bed. They already know the child's dead. Can you imagine the darkness of walking into that space? And he walks in with this little few, these few disciples that are with him. And he takes the little girl, the 12-year-old girl by the hand. And he says, to kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. And they were overwhelmed. Do you see the grace and the tenderness? Do you see how Jesus interacts with both the woman who's bleeding and Jairus and his family? His, it's, it's marked by this, not just this sympathy of, ooh, that's really sad, that's really dark. I'm I'm sorry to hear about all the hardship that you've experienced. Let me give you a book on um, spiritual growth. Let me give you a book on spiritual disciplines. Or, you know what, let me tell you, let me just read you this favorite psalm I've got or this, this Bible verse that I'd love for you to commit to memory. Let me sing you a great song. I think this song might cheer you up a bit. He doesn't tell the disciples to go make them a casserole. He doesn't say, you know, they're in a hard spot and, you know, make them a casserole. No, what does he do? He There's this empathy that flows out from him. He connects with them in the most intimate and personal way. He climbs down in the hole with them. He, he asks them to trust him. He feels their pain with them. He exudes this empathy and this loving kindness. You see, Jesus does this because it's a foreshadowing of what He had come to do. You see this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She stops bleeding. This woman who was unclean and cut off from from community. She is now clean all over again. This woman was healed from this disease. And ultimately because of Jesus. One day this woman would be made whole. The question is why? And we know the answer don't we? The reason, the answer is this, because Jesus had come. The reason he had been born into this world was to take her uncleanness and our uncleanness upon himself. He had come into this world to be cut off. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, as one from whom men hide their faces. We know that when Jesus went to the cross, he was abandoned, that his disciples went running for the hills, that people who were close to him had turned their back on him, That Jesus would be broken. That Jesus himself would bleed. That he would do those things for her. That he would do those things for us. Why? That we might be healed. And that we might be whole. You see, that's a reason we have to believe. We know that Jairus's daughter, uh, indeed she did live again. And we know that Jesus had come, that she might live forever because he's the resurrection and the life. And the reason that she would live and the reason that she would live eternally and with this amazing everlasting life and the reason that we will as well, if we believe in Jesus, is because Jesus had come, has come to die in our place. That Jesus' death is the death of death. That Jesus himself could relate with Jairus because you see, He was cut off from this fellowship with his father. You'll remember that as Jesus was on the cross, he cries out in the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his back on his bleeding, dying son so that he could turn his face and his love and his tenderness and his compassion toward you and toward me. You see, we have a reason to believe Because Jesus is so good. Because Jesus is so tender. He has this power and this authority that he uses for our good. He woos us into a relationship with him. All we need is to know our need. All we need is to be desperate. And what does it mean to believe? Well, it means to listen to him. It means to follow him. It means to entrust ourselves to him. And he gives us a reason to do just that. Because he's so kind. He's so good. He's so tender. He's so compassionate. He has come to give us what we need the most. He's come to give us life. He gives us life through his death. He makes us whole by being broken for us. And so my friends, I want you to know that there is this dear refuge for your weary souls. And this dear refuge is Jesus. He hears your prayers. He hears your cries. And he cares. He cares. And you can have confidence that he will respond, that he will come to your aid, that he will come to your defense. All you need to know is your need for him. Run to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would meet us in this space. Um, (laughs) There's some of us who want to kind of put up this uh, front uh, that we're doing great. Um, that man, this is these are some great times and we're really enjoying this and uh, We're thankful for it and we want to talk about all the stuff you're teaching us and surely you are teaching us a lot uh, But there's almost this dishonesty that marks the way we present ourselves uh, We want to seem capable. We want to seem strong But Lord, I pray that you would help us to to know our weakness to know our need uh, To know our distress not to be afraid to Uh, confess that and acknowledge it. Because we know that as we come to you in honesty and in humility, as we cast ourselves upon you, as we entrust ourselves to you, that we experience you, we experience connection with you, your love and your compassion. Uh, What only you can do. Uh, You say cast yourselves upon the Lord because he cares for you. We know you do. So we pray that you would meet us in this space. We pray that you would deliver our world from darkness. We ask these things in your name. Amen.